Today, we tell the story of four-year-old Bobby Dunbar, who disappeared during a family camping trip in 1912. Almost eight months later, Bobby was found and reunited with his parents. Or was he? Plus, sometimes hearing voices might save your life, not unlike the case of a British woman who self-diagnosed her own brain tumor. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. It's kind of a dark exploration of human nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Jess, we are doing a special, special thing, but this is the very last episode of it. It's our four-part creep each other out, morbid each other out extravaganza. Yeah, I think, though, after we've done a few... I think it's more like I creeped myself out slash I was just kind of in my own brain curious no. about random things because the stuff that I've brought is just like, what's an existential slap? Let's talk about it. I oh, love it. About, oh, how did I get into demons again? Let's talk about it. I'm like, it, what? <laughs> it's been great. And I think there's a whole other layer of if people wanted to psychoanalyze us, it is definitely a good example of how our inner minds are working and what our priorities are, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> what our priorities in life yeah. are. Yeah, just like, what? This girl needs help. I already go to therapy. So for those of you that think I do need further help, I am already currently going to therapy. Aww. So thank you. Those people can <laughs> jog on. Okay. There's nothing wrong with you mm-hmm. ever. Thank you. Well, unless you start to hear voices, Jessica, Please in which don't. case there might be. Please don't say that to me. Please, please don't say that to me, Elise. Well, it is the essential story beat of what I am about to tell you. <laughs> so oh that God. was a great segue. Um, good Ooh, job, I just, me. I just buckled up. Here we go. Yeah, All right, buckle, I'm ready. buckle it up because uh, this hearse is going to the morgue. Now, uh, in, in 1984, a woman who will from here on be known by the initials A.B., was living in England. She had, uh, I believe, immigrated there 15 years prior. And she was married, had kids, and was a stay-at-home mom. And the winter of that year, A.B. started hearing voices inside of her head. And these voices told her, quote-unquote, Please don't be afraid. I know it must be shocking for you to hear me speaking to you like this, but this is the easiest way I could think of. My friend and I used to work at the Children's Hospital, Great Ormond Street, and we would like to help you. How do you feel just uh, hearing that AB had never been to this hospital, didn't know where it was and had never even heard of it? I I think I'm just glad that the the voice it sounded like a I'm here to help you like a yeah, pleasant and altruistic it's like, voice. But yes. remember, sometimes demons can trick us. You're right. They lure us Damn in a false sense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are no demons. Just to give you a little bit of relief, there are no demons here. But Thank God. Uh, so A.B. was scared, as anybody would naturally be, I think. And initially, she thought she was experiencing some type of psychosis. And then she heard the voice again shortly after. And to legitimize itself, the voice gave A.B. three pieces of information that she didn't or couldn't know at the time. And then A.B. went and verified the information and found it all to be true. I don't know what those three pieces were because I couldn't find them anywhere online. Um, But, yeah, it was probably with something like, if you go to this bridge, there's a blue wall underneath it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That she wouldn't have. 
you know, stuff like that, I'm, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So AB is really panicked at this point, and she rushes to go see a doctor. And the doctor, apologies if I butcher this name, but the doctor was Dr. Ekechuku Azwonye at the Lambeth Healthcare NHS Trust. And Dr. Azuonye, he diagnosed AB with hallucinatory psychosis. And after this, she started undergoing counseling and she started taking medication. And the voices disappeared for a time. And AB went on vacation to kind of relax. But then while abroad, she started hearing these voices again. And this time they told her that she was in serious medical danger and she should return home to England immediately for treatment. Oh, my God. Yep. And also this time, the voices told her that they should go to the computerized tomography department in a hospital. And I believe she went to the Royal Free Hospital in London, and the voices told her to get a brain scan. And she did. I think I've heard this. Maybe, keep going. Yes, keep going. Yeah, and tomography is like a CT scan that can get a type of scan of internal bone or tissue. So the voices told her, they said, go get this brain scan because, girl, you've got a brain tumor is what they they said to her. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't been experiencing any symptoms that would be aligned with the diagnosis of a brain tumor, no neurological abnormalities. So this was very out of the blue. But Dr. Azuone, to ease her anxieties, he did request a brain scan for her. And initially there was some, you know, she, it was declined because the other doctor mm-hmm. said, well, she doesn't have any symptoms. But then the doctor pushed, Dr. A pushed for her. And after some jockeying, she was granted one in April. And guess what? These scans showed that AB had a brain tumor and it was a meningioma. So uh, a left posterior frontal paraphalcine mass, which extended to the right side. And, you know, it was it was serious. And this is all mind blowing, right? That these voices would know this and tell her this. And so she this was diagnosed in April. And by May, she was having an operation And the tumor was dissected. It was removed. And then after the operation, A.B. heard from the voices who said to her, we are pleased to have helped you. Goodbye. Oh, my God. And then she never heard from the voices again. This is incredible, A. Like, that's amazing and incredible. Thank you. Are you some some sort of guardian angel? Number two. That's what she thought. Yeah. Why why isn't this happening to all of us all the time? Hey, like, give me some tips. Yeah. If something's... If I'm about to get in a car crash, don't get in that car that day. Like, <laughs> why isn't this happening? Help, help me too. Like, damn. Okay. Yeah. Keep, and keep uh, going. as I mentioned, this case was overseen by Dr. A and he was a pretty well, you know, regarded uh, psychiatrist. He'd worked in many hospitals in the UK since earning his medical practitioner license in 1976. And he documented and published this case in the British Medical Journal. And about a decade after the incident, Dr. A spoke with AB again. Uh, She just kind of reached out to him, I think, around the holidays and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm still healthy and no issues, haven't heard the voices. And Dr. A presented her case at a conference with AB herself in attendance. So it was like a big medical conference and he broke down what happened to her with this tumor and with the voices and everything. And there were three theories that kind of got floated around this conference by the other medical practitioners and minds present. The first being that the voices could have been an instance of telepathic communication from people who learned about AB's tumor and went out of their way to warn her. And the second theory was that A.B. herself knew about the tumor before she immigrated to the U.K. 
and invented the story to get free medical care under the NHS. This is the very like skeptical, I think, the kind of like mean theory. No, I hate that. Yeah. But this one seems kind of implausible because AB had been living in the country for 15 years before she began hearing these voices. Yeah. So that's a long time to be like, I'm going to go to England. I'm going to ride this tumor that I know I have out for 15 years. Yeah. And then, for so sure. it, you know, it's a little unusual. Yeah. The third one that Dr. A himself shared was that the presence of the tumor triggered enough residual sensations to alert AB that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by warning her, her resulting fear led her to unconsciously take in more information regarding London hospitals and uh, tumors. Like, Like she kind of, she didn't know that maybe when she was reading the paper that morning, she was reading names of London hospitals that she would have otherwise disregarded, but her brain was retaining them. Yeah, sure. It's But you can say that about anybody that has a tumor in that case. And also she heard the voices post-operation also. Mm-hmm. Well, the well, the voices did stop as soon as the tumor had been re- tumor had been removed. She heard them that one last time, and then. But I thought it. I thought it was after they were removed. No, like we're pleased to have helped you. Goodbye. Yeah, that was the last. The last time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so his kind of positioning, I think, was more that her unconsciously, her brain knowing something was amiss, mm-hmm. was able to filter in information that would help her and feed it to her as if she didn't know it, but she really did. But I mean, yeah. who knows? But so according to Dr. A, her case was the only instance in his professional history in which hallucinatory voices had kind of tried to reassure the sufferer that they were interested in their well-being and offered a diagnosis, even though there were no symptoms or clinical signs that this was the case. Mm-hmm. And even directed the person to a hospital that would have the equipment to help her with the issue. And then after, like you were just saying, Jess, they like they were congratulating her on the outcome of the operation and bid her farewell and then mm-hmm. just went away. Like, he, <clears throat> yeah. you know, even though he had dealt with tumor cases and stuff, this was the first time that all of these factors had kind of come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my question to you, Jess, is I actually, actually have more to, to kind of tell you about, but do you think that AB's brain saved her or kind of like, what's your theory on it? If any, if you have one. Yeah. I, I'm curious to hear what else, but yeah, my immediate reaction, I think my always, my gut reaction is to always kind of hope that there's always something bigger going on because I do believe that there's something bigger that this is not, we are not just our brains. Like there's no way. Um, so there's a part of me that's like, man, yeah. Like I really kind of hope there was some sort of, I don't know if you want to call it an angel or just, just energy, what, whatever it may be. That's just out there. Like, Hey, looking out for you. I don't know why she is special and not other people have this happen to them. I have no idea, but, um, Like, that's what I would like to think, but I also totally understand where Dr. A is coming from, too, on a more, like, grounded level. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, I think even if her brain was able to do this, I think that's pretty magical. Yeah, no, it is. Absolutely. Our Um, brains are capable of more than we can even comprehend. So I know we we think about magic in terms of... Like Harry Potter. Wands, yeah, yeah, and things floating through the sky. And Mm -hmm. But it is really weird. We are these meat sacks with, you know electricity flowing through us is kind it's of bonkers magical. like who came up who came up with this idea yeah. so uh well in a sort of because ab's story is very hopeful and it's a very cool example of wow she had this horrible thing happening and this saved her 
Conversely, in Switzerland in 2015, a woman named Sarah stabbed herself in the chest multiple times, claiming that she heard voices from above that told her to offer herself as a divine sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And she said these were direct orders from God. She she went to the emergency room after it happened, I believed, and explained to them, yeah, I, I stabbed myself because I was told that, you know, it was ordained that I do this. And this wasn't the first time in her life that Sarah had heard voices, particularly ones with religious connotations. Mm -hmm. Since she was a child, Sarah had heard voices on and off. And her interest in religion itself had gained and waned over the years. I think there were a total of four times that she had heard, distinctly heard voices, gone through four periods in her life. And she sought medical attention, especially this time because of the stabbing. And psychiatrists... They first diagnosed her to be schizophrenic, though her symptoms didn't really fit the full bill of that diagnosis. Ultimately, a brain scan revealed that Sarah had a brain tumor, so like AB. And this was Hmm. one that they kind of estimated she had been growing since she was young. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of paired up the evolution of the tumor and the adaptation of Sarah's brain to the tumor's growth And they correlated that the four prior instances in her life when she had had a lot of zealous religious fervor were maybe instances where the tumor would have been expanding and growing and changing. So, like, they were able to to say, oh, when you were because she kind of had this interest in religion that came and went in Mm -hmm. a really weird way. But they they determined, like, oh, when you were really, really enthusiastic and zealous in your religious commitment at this point in your life, that's when we think that the tumor was growing. I have so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. The doctors did kind of think that Sarah's delusions were caused by the tumor and the connection had a lot to do with the part of her brain that the tumor had infiltrated and sort of been impinging the thalamus, which is responsible for processing audio and what we hear. Mm -hmm. And it can also affect the interpretation and processing of your own inner speech, part of which might include your personal religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And we do know that there are parts of the brain that are linked to increased levels of spiritual interest. So like what your areas are impacted might hold a key. And in Sarah's case, the tumor was inoperable, but she at least had an an understanding of what was going on in her mind, like after this point. So she could say like, oh, okay, if I'm starting to get a lot of these urges again, I'm starting to kind of let my fervor overcome my maybe rationalization, considering harming myself because I think that this is what uh, God is telling me to do or uh, what I need to do because of this religious expectation. I know that it's because I have this tumor that's in my brain and maybe affecting a part of it. And... So I I just think it's so fascinating, especially because like the human mind is so complex. There are all these parts in these regions and these synapses that are, and you know, cortexes that are affected by just like a simple intrusion, right? Can totally mess everything up. Yeah. What if the brain tumor itself, whatever it is, I know it's a, a growth and it's cancerous and all of that. What if the brain tumor was like it created a life of its own and was the one talking to the person? 
That's bonkers and weird. I am it, not on drugs. It, but um, <laughs> oh, we didn't do our not drug disclaimer at the beginning that's of the right. episode. We are not on drugs <laughs> and we are not drunk. We this is I don't know what this is. Again, I think like you say something like that, Jess, and you're and it's like people might be skeptical and say, I, I'm I mean, I'm a skeptical person, yeah. but might say like, that's that's crazy. That's that's lunatic. How would that work? Mm-hmm. But again, we are walking meat bags full of electricity. Yeah, exactly. Brain tumors are weird, though. Like those, it's fascinating and what it can do to your brain. And um, oh, yeah, because I've also heard stories of people hearing voices that don't have brain tumors where they literally are a, a sane not a, I wouldn't use the word sane, but they are just a, a, a person that has no mental ith- issues or past mental issues. All of a sudden, they bl- black out for a second, heard voices to tell them to do something awful. They do that awful thing, come back into reality, and they're like, what just happened? What happened? Or sometimes they even remember that they heard voices that told them to do it, and then they do it. And then uh, they're like, I don't know why I did it. These voices told me. And I'm like, what is happening here? But the, the fact that these tumors, they're so fascinating, even though they're extremely awful, but what, what they are, I wish I could just like, yeah, I want to, I want to kind of dissect a brain tumor. I'm like, what's in there? What are you doing? What are you speaking? (laughs) Are you growing another brain to talk to the current brain? What any, I don't know. Yeah. I'm getting away from myself. Oh yeah, Jessica. Oh yeah. I'm I'm a tumor, but I've got a brain. Yeah. But it's evil though, because if you don't take care of it, I'm a good little tumor. then it kills you. I'm so it's like, what? Tumor, Jessica. But I will say, if with AB's situation, it's like, if it was, I don't know, it was like helping her out. It's so interesting. Yeah. And I and I think these are the situations I love seeing my skepticism meet your like little bit of lean toward mysticism. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, her man, wow, her brain was really doing some heavy lifting there. And you're like, but what if? What if there was something else? Yeah. And it's fun. It's yeah. fun. It's like, I think that's the fun dynamic of this show. Yeah. Um, Cause we bring those enthusiasms to those two different realms and, and sometimes crossover and a little, I, cause I can be somebody that likes the spooky and the unknown and yes, you know, absolutely. And then there are times when I need to be like skeptical, like even last night, just when I, I was like in the dark and I was thinking about demons and all of that, I, I was like, I'm about to go into my bathroom and it's dark in there. And I was like, "Mm -mm, hell no. And so I was like, I'm taking control and there are no such thing (laughs) as this stuff (laughs) happening right now. And so I just like push that to the side and I'm just like, no, think logically. But then sometimes, you know, you got to let your mind wander. Yeah. And again, there are so many phenomenons in this world that we just accept, like something like the Northern Lights. Yeah. We just accept as a phenomenon, but it is mind blowing. And so I think that, it is in the realm of possibilities to think that there are unseen things and things we can't explain. That's why I'm so staunch on like, even though I'm not religious, but I'm just like, there's, there's just more, I don't know what it is, but there's just more because there are so many different unexplained things. And, you know, is the multiverse real? And when people are like, I saw a shadow over there or I don't know. I'm like, is that, is it ghosts or is it just kind of like these universes melding together? Again, I'm getting way out of control here, but I'm just saying that it's always, you know, thinking that, what am I trying to say? I know what you mean. And if there's one thing that we can always count on in any universe, it's for our sponsors to rein us in. 
You're right, Elise. Let's get to it. Yeah, sponsors take the wheel. Jess, we talk about a lot of heavy stuff on this show, right? So heavy. And sometimes you just want to chill and put your mind at ease after, huh? You are correct. Maybe get a little high? Mm-hmm. But not too high. Bingo. <laughs> That's why for the perfect medium high, we hit up Diet Smoke for their delicious Delta 8 THC gummies. And I got to say, I've been using them for a while now, and they are fantastic. Ooh. I mean that 100%. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it is, Jess. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but to those wondering what exactly Delta 8 is, Delta 8 is simply a less potent THC. So the THC that you're most familiar with is probably Delta 9. And both are natural to the cannabis plant, but Diet Smoke extracts their Delta 8 from hemp. Mm-hmm. Some may call this a loophole. I call it the secret recipe to getting a smooth, stable, and most importantly, legal high. <laughs> That's the, I mean, it is the most important yeah, part, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Diet Smoke is legal in most states, and it's non-prescription. So just check Diet Smoke's website to see if they ship their gummies to your state. Diet Smoke does actually get you high, yes, and is best described as somewhere between the chillness of CBD and that classic stoned feeling you get with regular weed. Diet Smoke isn't light. It is just right. Mm-hmm. Plus, Diet Smoke comes in two delicious flavors, blue raspberry and watermelon. I like blue raspberry. You said you liked watermelon last time. I like blue raspberry. (laughs) But I also like the watermelon. They're both good. Yeah. It's just like, I think over time, taste buds, you know? That's true. I get it. You get used to one and then you're like, I'm starting to develop feelings for this new one. I finished the blue raspberry, so now I'm on the watermelon. But um, each gummy is infused with 10 milligrams of Delta-8 THC derived from American-grown hemp. Also, Diet Smoke's Delta-8 gummies are low in sugar, fat-free, and delicious. And did we mention they're legal, okay? So when CBD isn't enough and traditional THC is too much, maybe, enjoy Mm. the smooth buzz of Diet Smoke and use promo code 30MM, that's 30MM, for 20% off your order. You heard her. Go to dietsmoke.com and use the promo code 30MM for 20% off of your order. Again, that's dietsmoke.com, promo code 30MM for 20% off. All right. And we're back to your regularly scheduled episode. Jess, wow me. I want to be wowed here. Okay. I don't know if you'll be wowed, but you'll probably, you'll have a lot to think about. You'll be like, wait, what? This is more of a what story? (laughs) Like a- Say what? I'm confused. Yeah. It's just like, I'm confused situation. And like, it's also kind of sad too. Um, But yeah, let's get into it. So are you familiar with the disappearance of of Bobby Dunbar? No, I don't think so. Does that ring? Okay, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, great. Um, Well, let's get into it. Yeah, okay. Bobby Dunbar. So August 23rd, this happened in 1912. The Dunbars went on a day trip to a lake in Louisiana And as a family, they played in the water and were having a good old time. It was summer, fun stuff. Bobby, who was only four years old at the time, disappeared. And uh, his parents, Leslie and Percy Dunbar, searched everywhere for the boy, but uh, they couldn't find him. And they were forced to call the authorities after their search uh, turned up nothing. So pretty sad. What's going on? Okay, where's Bobby? So... Eventually, this turned into a statewide manhunt looking for Bobby, and 
it got to the point where like they were catching alligators in the lake and um, dissecting them to see if maybe he was eaten. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah, because they're like, where is this kid? They were, you know, looking everywhere in this lake. And they, they even threw like dynamite into the lake, hoping that the body would like be thrown to the surface or something, which I've never even thought about that being a tactic. But, oh, you know. Yeah, I think I have heard about that okay. method. Dynamiting. A, yeah. Okay. Dynamiting, dynamiting, dynamiting water. But then I, all I picture is just a ton of fish being <laughs> yeah. floating out of the water. Exactly. Or they're maybe hoping at least like the body will like wash up on shore. Something, something will happen, but nothing, nothing happened. And so, you know, it's this adorable four-year-old child just disappears. Uh, Fast forward eight months after Bobby's disappearance, the Dunbars received the news that they were always praying for that a boy matching Bobby's description had been found in Mississippi. And so, um, A man by the name of William Cantwell Walters, he was like a traveling handyman of sorts, had been seen with this boy. When authorities actually caught up to him, he claimed that the boy was named Charles Bruce Anderson, who was an illegitimate child of his brother and a woman that he worked for, his family named Julia Anderson. So he claimed that the boy, uh, who he referred to as Bruce, So he's calling him by his middle name, Charles Bruce Anderson, Bruce. And and I just want to be clear here because there's so many B's um, names that can get confusing. But yeah, he claimed the boy who referred to as Bruce had been left in his care by Julia Anderson while she left to go and look for work. Many residents of the town, though, backed Walter's story up, but the police still arrested him and took the boy into custody merely just because he looked like the boy that um the Dunbars were looking for look like Bobby, you know? So they're like, oh, you you have him, you kidnapped him of some sorts. So they took him in, all that. And the like initial reunion off the bat between the boy and the Dunbars kind of like remains disputed to this day. Like in some newspaper articles, it was like, oh, it was joyful and that the boy instantly shouted, Mom or mother, upon seeing um, Leslie and then other accounts claim that, you know, the Dunbars were hesitant to confirm that the boy was Bobby. So I'm not really sure where that landed during this time. But the next day after taking the boy home for the night and bathing him, uh, Miss Dunbar, Leslie, said that she had positively identified moles and scars on his body that confirmed that he was her son. So the police then allowed the Dunbars to take little Bobby back to their home. Oh, However, no. a few however a few uh days after the dunbars had taken bobby home julia anderson uh herself showed up backing up walter's claims that the boy was her son she said that she allowed walters to watch him for a few days while she looked for work and that those few days kind of turned into months when she hadn't been able to find any work i'm very curious about this julia woman like what were you doing for so long yeah um But the police then called the Dunbars back and requested that Bobby be a part of like a lineup to see if Julia could correctly identify him. And um, she couldn't. She asked whether he was the boy who had been found. But when she wasn't given an answer, she admitted that she was unsure. However, she returned the next day claiming that, no, she was, in fact, confident that the boy identified as Bobby Dunbar was actually her son, Bruce. News had already spread, though, that she had been, like, hesitant or kind of unsure the day before that the boy 
you know, maybe she, she was unsure. So it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> um, how can you be unsure if that's your son or not? So, but the boy was already living comfortably with the Dunbars. Oh so they, God. the courts were, I know. So the courts were kind of like, I don't know if we want to bring this back up again. This is confusing. Yeah. Um, so Julia, who was not able to pay for any sort of like court battle, um, she returned to her home in North Carolina, leaving the boy with the Dunbars. And so at this point, the Dunbars were like fully confident that the child was Bobby. He had returned home and was like acclimating really well, playing with his brothers, showing signs of like remembering things at the house. Like, okay, all is well. Things are great. Because of this, Walters, again, like now that we think all things are great, Walters was convicted of kidnapping and spent two years in prison for his crime uh, before his attorney appealed. And due to the cost of the first trial, the court declined to try him again instead of releasing him. So until the end of his life, he maintained his innocence in this case. So again, like everything seems really good and well. Bobby had been reunited with his family and was adjusting well. And he grew up, got married, eventually like had four children and ended up dying in 1966. And though um, he had been told about, you know, some of these events that happened during his childhood, he couldn't really like remember that. He just knew himself as Bobby Dunbar and like that was that. But then fast forward to 2004 Bob Dunbar Jr., son of Bobby Dunbar, mm. consented to a DNA I test. I knew. I knew. It's <laughs> like, I know where this is going to go. It's like modern technology. Here it's, we go. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. His <sighs> daughter. Um, so Bob Dunbar Jr., son of Bobby Dunbar, consented to a DNA we test. We will call him Sunbar. Sunbar. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. His daughter, Margaret Dunbar, cut right, uh, had been investigating the events and like wanted to pr- prove once and for all, like, you know, that her grandfather was Bobby Dunbar. The DNA from Bob Dunbar Jr. was compared to the DNA from his cousin, the son of Bobby Dunbar's younger brother. And as you probably could guess, the test was conclusive that Bob Dunbar Jr. was not blood-related to any of the Dunbar family. So as far as the real Bobby Dunbar, his fate is still unknown. Um, Margaret believes that the child like fell into the lake and either drowned or was eaten by an alligator. Some journalists theorize that like maybe the Dunbars, um, Leslie and Percy, like had done something to their son and then used Bruce Anderson to cover the deeds. They're they're not really sure. They're people Man. have thought that they had claimed like footprints leading away from the lake at the time. And you know, this was like 1912. So like lots of things have happened since then and different stories have been told. But um, but that DNA test, though, that that was telling the truth and that all along that was Bruce Anderson that the Dunbars took in, which just blew my mind because I'm like, do you not know your son? And what? Yeah. (laughs) No, but I think it's. Do you remember this? It it was it was actually told in a movie in mid 2000s, this movie, The Changeling with Angelina Jolie. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the other one. There's an older horror movie called The Changeling. No, her Um, her son goes missing and then is returned to her, quote unquote. And she's like, that's not my son. Like that's, and but the press and and the police are like, no, 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 this is your son. This is your son. And they're like, no, no. She's like, no, that's, I know my son. That's not my son. And she gets like committed and is, you know, prone into a psychiatric ward and stuff. And it's like, I guess this is not, it's not common, but it's it definitely happened before where Wait, but 
was that her son or was I she don't, like, no, that's I not don't my remember. son. I think we'd have to look up because it's based on a true story as well. Let me see if I can find the true story. Oh, so in 1928, okay. the Wineville chicken coop murders in Mira Loma, California, Walter Collins was mm-hmm. a boy that went missing. Yeah, because I think it, the idea is that the police, you know, they find this boy and they present him back. And it's a big victory for the police department because mm-hmm. they're, you know, th- any criticisms of incompetency. Oh, they well, you know, they didn't they didn't stop the murder of this other kid or find this other kid, but they found this kid. And then, and then the parents are like. That's not my kid. But the police are like, no, 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 that's your kid. That's your kid. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was a real story, 1928, which was what the Changeling movie was based on. And I think I feel like I was reading a couple months ago or something. But another instance where a child that went missing was returned to their parents and the parent was like, that's not my kid. Yeah, absolutely. But what's weird about this one. And again, like I'm now I want to like go look up other stories that are like this is like she the like her pointing out Miss Dunbar about like the moles on his back and just like this is my son, which then you know with with, with some of the people that we're talking about later are they like you know did the Dunbars do something to their son and they're trying to cover it up, which is why maybe they were like no this is him this is mm-hmm. these are his moles I remember, so I don't I don't know and the fact that it's not th- this is all like an unknown nobody knows what happened nothing has been cracked other than the fact that um. You know, we know that Bobby Dunbar is we don't know where Bobby is. But the sad part of it is that um, Walters, he died in jail and, you know, he did maintain his innocence when he was telling the truth the entire time. Yeah, that's horrible on so many levels. And also, I think just the psychological trauma and stress of being like, no, you're this person. Mm -hmm. These people are your family. Like, yeah, it's, it's just it's all so messed up. Yeah. I'm curious, though, as to what, like now, I don't know where they are now. I know that they took the test in 2004, but like after finding out that info, I'm sure they like weren't going to, oh, you're not part of our family anymore. But yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, so what now? Yeah, you know? Gosh. Um, yeah. Bonkers. <laughs> that's an so, interesting story to cover on this show, though. It is in in just kind of like mix and matching mm-hmm. in in general. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's a very distinctly um, unusual type of. It's definitely morbid and strange, but very. Different. Yes, I do. You know, want to again respect for the families. Like, I do hope Bob Dunbar Jr. and the rest of the family, like they're doing okay, and and hoping uh, for peace and love to the whole Dunbar family and the Anderson family, wh- whatever they're up to now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, maybe they listen to the podcast. Maybe they don't. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> just skip, skip, <laughs> skip this one. <laughs> yeah, skip this one. You don't need to. You already know what happened. You don't need to know about it more. Yeah. So, uh, well, this is the last of our tete a tete uh, morbid fact episodes, Jess. It's been fun just kind of like looking at specific stories, you know, to tell uh-huh. of just like what happened to this person at this time or like what is... What's on the top of my brain right now? And I'm just curious about that's bonkers. Who knows? I also it's one of those things where I'm recording a podcast, but I also feel like I'm listening to a podcast because you're no, telling yeah. me the story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm over here just sitting. I'm just like, really? I have my thinking face on. I'm like, what is this brain tumor doing? What is what is its motivation? <laughs> oh, it's what just is its me, objective? <laughs> yeah. 
And then it's Elisa's voice coming in. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I could be in your brain, too. If I get a brain tumor, I do hope it's your voice. Oh, you know, it 100 percent will be because I have now implanted myself (laughs) in such a way that if if that ever, God forbid, (laughs) did happen, it would it would manifest and materialize in such a way. Oh, man. At least it'd be like a peaceful way out if they couldn't um, operate on it. And I just that was my way to go. At least it'd be like, well. Well, Lisa's sweet. She's a ball yeah, of sunshine. I'd be like, I'll sing you to sleep, Jessica. <laughs> but instead of singing me to sleep, you just kind of continue to tell me morbid stories yeah. as I pass away. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> well, and we'll be back telling more morbid stories next week. Uh, we'll be back to our traditional format where we investigate one big, long story. Maybe death at Disneyland. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's talk about talk about morbid death at Disney, but the parks broadly. Yes, multiple parks. Yeah, might might be the episode. We'll have to cut this if it isn't, (laughs) but I think it will be. I've never been to Disneyland or any of the Disney. I've never been to Disney World or Disneyland. I've never been. The only places that I've been to are uh, Universal Studios and Hogwarts. Oh my gosh! Well, wait, is Hogwarts in? No, it's not. There's one. There's one in LA and one in Florida. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there but it's Universal. not a part of Disney. It's, yeah, Universal. it's Universal. So I've yeah. only yeah. So I've only been there. I've never been. So this will be a a treat for me. Wow. We'll have to do the Death at Disney Parks episode, and then you'll have to come out and go to Disney Park. Perfect. I I can't wait. <laughs> yep. Cannot wait. We also are going to be at RTX Austin July Fourth mm-hmm. weekend, doing Ooh. some morbid stuff on the ground, meeting people. Hmm. Hmm. And what other taking pics, telling stories? What else, Jess? Um, merch, merch, merch. You know, get grab those cute little shirts, little stickers. You know, put put a little sticker on your water bottle or your face, anywhere you prefer to have mm-hmm. stickers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, you know, catch us on social. Do kids still bring binders to school? I hope. Like, or is it just that every every kid has a laptop? I honestly don't know. I don't know either. But if you do have a laptop, you can put a sticker on your laptop. As well. That's true. That's true. Because in my head, my thought would be, I'd put this on my binder, this sweet decal. Yeah, absolutely. Catch us on the socials. You know, at 30 More Minutes, this is on Twitter, mm-hmm. at 30 More Minutes, at Jessica Vasami, and at Elise Willems. Please. Um, and we're also on Instagram. Yeah. At 30 Morbid Minutes. You guessed it, at 30 More Minutes. So, mm-hmm. and we try to drop like little factoids on those accounts. It's not just, you know, regurgitation of stuff. We try to f- share fan art and things like that. The fan art is oh. my favorite. You guys have been killing it. Thank you it's so much so for the fan art. Great. Yes. It makes me it's, so happy. And I, I uh, laugh out loud looking at it all. Yeah. It's literally spectacular. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Keep keep them coming. Even if it's weird, just send it. We love it. So. Mm-hmm. Well, next week we will be embarking on a voyage to the happiest place on earth. Well, I don't. Is it? We're talking. You're telling me that multiple deaths have happened there. <laughs> oh, um, what? hmm. Oh. Well, gotta go. Oh, okay. All right. Am I alone now? Okay, uh-huh. bye. Bye, Jessica. <laughs> Where do you think you're going without me? What? Me. It's me. Who's me? Thomas. Who's talking to me? It's Thomas. Thomas who? (laughs) Thomas the tumor. Get.
Get out of here. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thomas the tumor. <laughs> Thomas with two two M's. God damn it. Bye-bye. Damn it. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.